the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 33, The Stories of Conan by Robert E. Howard, Part 6. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we read books and talk about them so that you don't have to. Appendix N refers to a list of inspirational reading in the first edition of the Dungeon Master's Guide, written by E. Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. We will review the story and talk about how it may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you enjoyed the show and would like to leave a comment, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me, as always, you know him, you love him, my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Hiya, happy to be here, as always. As always. And also our Conan expert, Peter Foxhoven. Great to be here, guys. Thanks again. Peter Foxhoven. Looking forward to hearing you lay some of that uh, subject matter expert knowledge on us. It's nice to be talking about Conan again, for sure. This is our final uh, Conan uh, episode. We will be talking about the the last three uh, Conan stories that... Robert E. Howard wrote uh, shortly before uh, ending his own life in, in 1936. Uh, and these stories are Beyond the Black River, Shadows in Zambula, and Red Nails. And I'm, I'm excited to be talking about them. So let's, let's, uh, let's get right into it with the first tale. Beyond the Black River was published uh, from May until June in uh, Weird Tales... In uh, 1935. Who would like to summarize uh, Beyond the Black River? Not it. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll go for it. So Beyond the Black River, um, Conan has been employed by Aquilonia to go into the Pictus wilderness beyond um, where the the borders, where the, the Aquilonian marches are, in order to act as a scout. So there is a frontier settlement that Aquilonia is trying to, you know, create and get settlers out there but unfortunately those wild picts which for robert e howard are some kind of combination of um you know pre-roman celts and uh native americans are creating way too much havoc and so there is a guy named zogar sag who is a of course deadly wizard um like a devious sorcerer who has been able to unite several of these clans of the of the uh, picts out there and they are kind of laying waste to the uh, people from Aquilonia that have tried to settle in the region. And so, interestingly, Conan runs into a guy named Balthus, who is uh, Robert E. Howard's analog for himself. Hmm. And they kind of go on a, a short adventure. It is told uniquely not from Conan's perspective, but from Balthus's perspective. Um, and he ends up being... While not a sole survivor, he ends up holding basically the picks off so that people in this fort can get away and Conan sort of narrowly survives. But it's unique, I think, in that it sort of sets up that Conan is this minor servitor in 
uh, the Aquilonian army several years before he will eventually become king of Aquilonia itself. So it's kind of cool that you see him helping out with the establishment of the borders and him pointing out kind of specifically, obviously this is getting ahead of myself probably, mm -hmm. so, but pointing out specifically some problems that he sees with Aquilonian imperialism before he himself will eventually, you know, have, hold that hold that throne. Yeah, looking looking at some of the timelines that that people have constructed, this this looks like it's it's the last uh, Howard story uh, before before Conan becomes king. If you were to rearrange the stories in in some kind of chronological order, um, it, and it's it's it, it reads very much like an American western. If you if you replace the desert with the jungle yeah it reads so much like an american western that i had it kind of drew me out of the story actually i was i felt like i was reading a a story about a weird version of the american west where um you know the european invaders didn't have a technological edge and there was no smallpox epidemic Right, and it's that reliance of that the Picts, insofar as um, they're portrayed by Robert E. Howard, are so much analogous to the Native Americans here, right? Right, North uh, North American Aboriginal peoples, that it's really hard to place it in a fantasy context, in a traditional fantasy context. And he's really pulling on a lot of the stuff he was doing um, outside of fantasy to sell. Uh, stories because he he wrote a, a number of westerns and adventure stories and you know desert tales and we've kind of seen all of that so one of the things that I've always really liked about the Conan tales is that yes it's this low fantasy setting but they've successfully been able well they Robert E Howard was successfully able to sort of use a, a number of different conceits of different genre when he was writing these in much the same way why I think perhaps the Marvel movies have been so successful is that they're able to, you know, you have uh, Captain America. The second one is basically a spy movie, right? Like you're able to make that bridge that gap between genre pretty successfully. I can, I can, I can see that. And I, I don't, I don't know if this was intended to be a, a, a weird West tale, but, but certainly uh, uh, now weird, weird West is a, is a genre unto itself with, with, with things like, like, like the Deadlands role-playing game and, uh, the 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 adventures of Briscoe County Junior that 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 old show with um, uh, what's his face the chin Bruce guy. Campbell yeah Bruce Campbell I so, love the chin guy I the chin that. guy yeah <laughs> well, either him or Leno that's two people that that could be well you can you can tell I'm I'm great 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 with names um, yeah I mean I I got from this uh, story that uh, Conan would be really obnoxious to have as a companion. Because he's 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 better than you in every way. Uh, he's he's always uh, correcting you when you're when you're wrong. Whenever you rush into a fight, he gets all the kills. You're you're lucky if if you get one. Uh, you know if 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 I was Balthus, I'd I'd be like you know what just just leave me for for the tiger. And this Conan is definitely the piece, is the player character of a power gamer. I absolutely agree with you on that. Like everything he does is just so much more infinitely badass than everybody around him. He's silenter and faster. Like they talk about Balthus, he's like a seasoned woodsman and he can like barely keep up and is totally out of breath. I think we've all played with somebody like that. And and he yeah. he 
is is able to draw the magical rune on the ground that that uh, that keeps all the all the monsters away from you. So not only can can he fight, but he also knows this this weird magic stuff. So yeah, he just he just has has everything. And and Balthus doesn't even even live. Well, Night Surge took great um, exception to him knowing the is it uh, Jagalsag. The name of the old sorcerer whose rune he inscribes. Like, how the hell does Conan know that? I've been wondering this forever. This is a guy who, anytime he encounters anything supernatural, is just like, ah, if it bleeds, it can die. Right? Like that whole, like, if it has hit points, we can kill it PC mentality. It's... And, like, suddenly he knows about magical runes. And it seems like it comes out of nowhere because what in. All of the other stories we've read thus far, when has he even given the like most remote care? To this sort of thing, he's he's yeah, he's even in even in stories that are uh, the stories that are set after this, uh, you know, Phoenix on the Sword, the the very earliest um, Conan that we we paid any attention to on the Appendix N, the amount of knowledge that Conan displays about magic is really really minimal, and so it really stands out here. This is the this really is the version of Conan that Conan that I was kind of afraid of uh, encountering when we first started this series. The Conan who can do no wrong, who is mm. just the, the best at everything all the time and is kind of boring to read about for that reason. And maybe that's why uh, Conan is not the POV character in this story, because there would just be there'd be no story. If there wasn't a foil for Conan to uh, some somebody to be struggling to keep up with him, right? He's he's basically Batman in this story. He's he's the version of Batman that can speak every language and knows every uh, martial art and and just has a solution for uh, every situation in his u- utility belt. And and yeah, this... well, now see, I feel like that's not fair because Batman is awesome. You know, he's uh, he's great. He studied very hard and became the best at everything up to and including Dance Dance Revolution. But <laughs> I, I see you, you but, read that that David Willis comic also. Yes. Yes. Uh, the first thing that pops into my head. I, um, I, I, I find that that Batman can be on a on a dial and, and sometimes the writer of Batman dials the Batmanness of Batman way, way up. And and he becomes too too Batman. If you, it if really you... depends on the nature of the story. Um, the only other Conan story that I can think off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure there's others, but the one that I can think of off the top of my head where Conan is def- definitively not the POV character is um, the the police procedural uh, story, the the mystery. Oh, yes. uh, there was was a, where it was a snake the whole time. Yes, yeah, the... serpent in the bowl. Yes, the, or the, the God in the Bible. There you go. Correct. And that was a very young Conan who had nothing. He, he had not none of this uh, aura of invincibility that we see in this story. And I think it's interesting the stories that Howard feels that he needs to insert a non-Conan POV character for, and the stories where he doesn't do that. Yeah, I think I think ultimately what what this story is is really about is is uh, Howard's whole uh, assertion that uh, civiliz- civilization is an is a, is an accident and and uh, savagery is 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 more 
uh, natural. I, bl- I believe like like the last line of this story is something to that to that point. There's there's a guy just staring at Conan, and in in a very love Lovecraftian way realizes, oh, we're we're all insignificant. We're all we're all gonna die. Conan Conan is 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 the future. Yeah, but it, yeah, yeah, but you have Conan. He's just he states the. He states that thesis outright at the end of the story, which I think really kind of undercuts the goodness of this story right, in a lot of ways. That's what I, I said. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, that's, that's just what I'm saying is that it's a it's a weaker story uh, for that. I sometimes wonder about the influence of uh, the Turner thesis. So you have Frederick Jackson Turner in the late. Uh, or I guess early uh, 1890s during the significance of the frontier in American history, where he basically posits that the frontier experience is what hardened Americans and made them innovative and made them tough and made them able to do these sort of great things like, you know, fight the Spanish eventually, things like that. Um, And that would have been a fairly widely accepted thesis even into Howard's day, and especially him growing up in rural Texas where he you know, heard stories from the older people about their encounters with Native Americans that were violent and were hardened by that frontier experience. I always kind of wonder if this is a, if he's transplanting that very late 19th century, early 20th century sort of American jingoism into his writing about Conan. Probably. Well, if that were the case, if that were the case, though, wouldn't Aquilonia be a transformative nation that was, you know, just sweeping over the Picts? I don't know, because in that case, I think Aquilonia represents sort of old Europe, right, that's held in its own sort of area where they have their civilization and they have their uh, culture that's been unbroken and therefore they're becoming somewhat weakened by it, where the Sumerians and Conan superior, you know, obvious superiority to everybody else, even the people that are like growing up as sort of woodsmen for the Aquilonians have nothing on him because he was raised in a frontier environment and in wall-to-wall wilderness and, and that sort of thing, as opposed to so, the Picts who are entirely savage. So Conan takes the place of America in uh, in this jingoistic interpretation of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, am, I acknowledge I am grasping at straws here. No, it, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I did not know about the uh, Turner theory, so it's it's it, that's why we have you have you have you with us. So yeah, I mean that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean I I thought I thought as as stories went, it it was about it was it was about uh, average. I was uh, disappointed that he seemed to be fighting yet more big animals. Uh, I think, like in the in the fir- in the in the opening, he he kills something and he calls it a forest devil, and it's really hard to know when because because Conan calls everything either a devil or a dog, so it's it's really hard to know if he's talking about like an actual supernatural thing or just a tiger. So, but I was I was pleased like at at the end of this that 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 we got like an actual supernatural entity that 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 he fights. I also like the acknowledgement of his belief in the supernatural, right? That he just accepts it as part of his worldview. Whereas you have Balthus, who's really shaken to his core by it. And I mean, it might be part of experience because if we look at the ones that are placed, I guess, at least chronologically uh, within the universe earlier in Conan's life, he's a little bit more weirded out by the supernatural. But at this point, I mean, he's seen so much that he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's magic. 
mm. and magical runes and giant snakes and stuff. It's a thing. And you have Balthus, who is just like completely taken aback by the existence of these things. Like this is mythology to him, mm. or should be rather. All right. Well, shall we shall we press on to uh, shadows in Zambula? Sure. All right. So so shadows in Zambula is another tale of Conan as a thief. Although although I'm not sure we really find out that, that he is a thief until the very end of the story. Um, it we, we we haven't really seen uh, thief Conan. I don't I don't think since. Um, since Tower of the of the Elephant, um, but this this story takes place in uh, a city called Zambula, which is which is where Peter. Oh, Zambula would lay somewhere to the south of Stygia, like or around Darfar or into the Black Kingdoms. Okay, so so, so middle we're middle, in mythic mythic Ethiopia, is where yeah, we're. or like mythic Sudan. Okay, all right. So, Shadows in Zambula, the original title was The Man-Eaters of Zambula. It was published in Weird Tales in 1935. Uh, and Conan learns very quickly that uh, the, the black Darfurian slaves uh, like to roam the streets at, at night and uh, kidnap people uh, for cannibalistic rituals. Um... And he he stays at a hotel. Uh, one of his friends told him not to stay at this hotel because the innkeeper can't be trusted. But he stays there anyway. And uh, lo and behold, uh, the innkeeper is secretly letting these uh, Darfurian uh, cannibals. He's he's basically selling his his guests to these to these uh, guys. Uh, so Conan, being Conan, uh, kills the guy who comes in his to his room to to eat him um i he he goes he goes out and and wanders the streets and meets a girl who's running away from these uh horrible uh cannibals and uh it turns out that she has um she she's got something going on with with her boyfriend where she was trying to give him a love potion but it turned out it, it made him crazy and uh, there's a priest who's, who's blackmailing her, I think. I'm forgetting some of the story. But um, she convinces Conan to go find uh, this uh, Stygian priest and uh, kill him so that she can get the antidote to undrug her boyfriend. And uh, Conan uh, does this. Um, he encounters uh, a, a large uh, man who uh, turns out to be a, a strangler uh, from from whatever the uh, analog of India is here a, a um, um, I forget his name Balteor yes Bal, Bal that's 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 how the um, audio book 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 pronounced it uh, yeah so he encounters a strangler uh, and he strangles the strangler and uh, kills the priest. Uh, there's there's a scene where where the priest um, casts some kind of hypnosis magic on on the girl that he's uh, trying to help and forces her to uh, dance for him. Uh, and there's some il- illusionary uh, snakes, but they turn out to be uh, wisps of smoke. And so Conan kills the priest, and um, there's this ring that they're looking for. Uh, the, the girl really wants it, and they they can't find it. 
Um, but eventually, she reveals that she's that she and and the guy are actually the the uh, basically the the prince and princess of of this town, or or the king and queen, uh, whatever. whatever. King and king's mistress, maybe. Yeah, basically, uh, and. Uh, she says, uh, Conan, uh, tomorrow I'm going to make you captain of my uh, royal guard. Uh, I'm not going to have sex with you like I, like I promised, but uh, I will give you lots of money and make you captain of my royal guard, and tomorrow you need to go to that priest's palace and, and tear it apart and get my ring back because it's, it's a very important, very powerful uh, magic ring. And Conan says, okay, and then leaves and reveals that he had the ring the whole time, uh, he knew that uh, he he knew who they were the 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 the, the whole time. Uh, it was all a ploy to steal the ring, and the last thing he does is he he gets revenge on the on the innkeeper by by feeding him to to the cannibals and rides away into in, into the desert, uh, listening to the sound of his enemies' screams. Sound good? Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Which is so, which is one of the uh, which is one of the uh, three best thing things in life, right? Yes, you hear the lamentation, uh, crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations of their women. Fantastic! I was thinking that too. <laughs> so yeah, so so two of the three three best things. I, I don't think there was there was any la- lamenting women. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm no, sure. though he did the, he did bring that up in the previous story, though, right? Like they talk about like how. Uh, how uh, you know how many of their warriors he sent to hell and things like that, and so it kind of has that same sort of context, mm-hmm. at least in the in the previous one where he was like, if they would have killed me, you'd hear them screaming like throughout the forest. So pretty awesome. Yeah. So I mean, aside from the um, you know very blatant uh, racism that oh these these black slaves are also cannibals, who who would have thought? Um, well, not only that, but they're just barely kept under control, apparently, because they're slaves, yet they freely roam the city at night just eating people. Right, because because the people of, of the town are afraid to not let them do that. Right, even though they're even though they're slaves that they brought in. Right. And the and by day the slaves are laboring. I, I this was something that I had some trouble with, I gotta say. Uh, just aside from the very bad racial optics of it. Um, uh, plot device. Yeah, it just... Yeah. <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah, the racism in this one was particularly bad. Particularly bad. I mean, you have like statements where he is like, you wouldn't let me in and I'm a white man. Brr. Like That's like a line in this story yeah. when he tries yeah. to get into the inn. That's brutal. Like That is so brutal. Mm-hmm. But... Oh, plus, pa- uh, painting the the black population as you know barely human savages, um, while also it seems like the worst of both worlds because like racism prior to the Civil War was uh, you know white people's racist racist view of black you know, grotesquely oversimplifying was that you know oh black people are just like childlike and all they want to do is um, hang out under the tree and sleep and eat watermelon and they need white people to you know get them to actually do stuff and then after the Civil War the the narrative changed and it was that black people were you know violent and dangerous and therefore it was important to round them up and 
arrest them and put them on chain gangs so that they could mine iron in Birmingham, which, you know, slavery by another name. Right, right. Uh, which was, and this was written at the at like the height of that in the in the thirties. Uh, There's something that petered out for a couple of different reasons around the time of World War II. But it's just straight up racist propaganda. I can't I can't really read this any other way. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But aside from that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can all, for, you know, for, we all have the, the, the privilege of being able to just set that aside and not think about it and look at the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is pretty okay. I liked the, I liked Conan's kind of single-mindedness in terms of getting vengeance on the innkeeper. Um, that was a nice, a nice little touch. And I thought that it was ironic that the, um, Oh, the mistress tells Conan that she gave the uh, gave the guy a love potion. Then, when she confronts the priest, we find out that actually what she asked for the priest for was a, a sleeping potion, so that she could search his body and steal his magic ring. And the magic ring, we're told, uh, in a, a little ironic twist, is a basically a magic ring of enslaving women. Um, if you apparently, if you know the the command word and the right magic, then you right uh, you can can cause you can force women to uh, to obey you and 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 fall in love with you and be and your and, sex. and she was she was afraid that he would he would figure out how to use it because because he didn't he didn't know yet yeah and of course that's not that's not an advantage that Conan needs so at the end of the story he's going off to pawn it <laughs> yep. I thought I thought the fight with the with the strangler was a little ridiculous. I mean, we're 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 told that this that this guy is is huge, and that he's you know he's strangling people is is what he does, right? He's been strangling people his his whole life. Uh, he's he's a big muscular guy. He's he's approximately the physical equal of Conan. And, and yet, and yet, Conan is able to outstrangle Stranglin' Bob at the Stranglin' game. Yeah, you know, I mean, is, it's... it's another it's another example of the super powerful Conan that I was leery of when we first started reading the the Howard stories, and which we we've seen very little, um, really, up to up to uh, this set of stories. I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think I think this this is where he was. Where Howard was really starting to worry about, uh, you know, losing losing money and not being able to sell his his fantasy stories, and I guess maybe he just wanted to up the up the machismo or something. I don't I don't know. Everything's, everything's escalated. Everything's high contrast. Um, yeah, yeah. This is I'm mean, sort of like a this is like the big budget remake of uh, the earlier Conan stories. Yeah, or just I've... simply the Dragon Ball Z problem, right? Where mm-hmm. what happens when you beat the Saiyans? Well, then you need Frieza. And what happens oh, exactly. when you beat exactly, well, you beat yes. Frieza? Well, then you need Cell, right? There needs to be this ever-scaling level of badass to kind of keep it going. And because he wasn't writing with a definitive chronology in his head, like where we piece together where the chronology is going to fit, sometimes Conan, unfortunately, doesn't really by his attitude or actions necessarily seem like it fits so perfect. So this one, according to the Dale Ripke chronology, which is the one that I think has the best argument for its 
you know, for the placement of the stories. This is right after the uh, the people of the Black Circle, the one where he's in the Himalayans and he goes and he finds mm-hmm. those, you know, you know, he's with the Devi of Vendaya and all that. This, I mean, this is according to that chronology, right after it, and it seems like a very different Conan from the guy who's leading Himalayan tribesmen and saving and to call it what it is, uh, an Indian princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Conan of those Afghanistan, the the Afghanistan and uh, uh, what is Caspian Sea stories seems a lot more, I don't know, uh, cosmopolitan in some ways. Right, this seems like it would fit almost more with the Conan of Veil of Lost Women, right, where he is hanging out with other, you know, tribesmen in the Black Kingdoms, and he's somehow become a warlord himself, and... Like, they capture... It's the same race or racist overtone, right? They capture that woman... I think it's Olivia. And he's so outraged that, you know, these... These, these you know, African gentlemen have taken this white woman that he's like, fine, whatever, I'll, you know, steal you away and run out into darkness with you. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is a bunch of stories back. But this seems more like that Conan than the Conan we've seen you know, pr- pretty recently. Mm-hmm. I think I think I mean you going going back to to the fight and you know I think I think you solve that problem of escalation by by having Conan win the fight through cleverness not not through just having a bigger strength score right like oh I can't I can't outstrangle the the strangler so I'll you know I'll I'll topple over this this masonry on him or I'll get underneath him and and kick him in the groin or, or or something, right? I feel like that's the sort of thing that Conan would have done in one of the earlier stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when he's younger and just not so... His physical prowess is, you know, less. It seems less. Though, according to people of the Black River, I don't know if that was ever even the case. I mean, people of... Uh, or be, people of the Black River. Beyond the Black River... Uh, we have this same sort of tale of Conan in Belitrium when he was, what, like 14 years old, like sacking Aquilonia and being a complete badass. So it almost seems inconsistent that the Conan of, like, him being 14 is basically the same in relative badassery of the Conan of, like, right before he becomes king. And then we have all these stories in the middle where I don't know if that's necessarily true. You know, he's getting knocked out with a single rock. You yeah, know, but that pirates. was that was that was something that I could forgive Beyond the Black River for, though, because it was Conan later in life reminiscing about his crazy teen hijinks. Um, oh, yeah. So I just I just assumed that he was exaggerating his uh, his level of badassitude in the in the retelling, and I, and you know he was looking back on it as a. Um, you know, extremely confident and high achieving man who, uh, you know, had the, had an internal narrative about, uh, about his life and that required him to just be super badass even at 14. Yeah. I think, I think according to, um, when they, when they, uh, put these stories into, into, uh, novels and, and other writers would, would insert, uh, little little intros and and outros to, to to explain what happened between the stories. I think uh, one one guy said that that Conan's supposed to be forty year, years old in Beyond the Beyond the Black River, um, which which means that that he is even even older in Hour of 
of the dragon, which is which is you know the 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 latest tale in the in in the chronology. And I think I think we we remarked when, or at least I remarked when when we were, were reading that, like Conan's supposed to be an old guy in this uh, story, and he doesn't seem to have slowed down at all. He seems to be able to take on armies and 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 swing his giant sword and cleave through people just just like he did when he was 14. So yeah, Conan Conan his his physical prowess don't seem to really change. Like there's there, there doesn't seem to really be be an arc there. Well, well, you know, he gains levels and maybe they forget to apply the aging penalties in the the player's <laughs> handbook because it, it's easy to overlook that kind of thing, but he keeps going up in levels. So mm-hmm. yeah, his He's just got so many hit points, man. <laughs> so many, so many hit points. All right, shall shall we move on to the final tale of this evening? Because I think I think we're going to spend uh, a long time talking about this one. Uh, Red Nails published. Oh, the good one of the three. <laughs> <laughs> Red Red Nails published in Weird Tales from July to October, nineteen thirty-six. Considered by my co-host Jeff Wickstrom to be one of the finest. Conan stories ever written. Absolutely. And I thought that it was pretty good too. Um, so Jeff, why don't you summarize the story here? Okay, so once upon a time, Conan and this princess, I don't know exactly what her deal is. She's some kind of pirate queen, but she's not the same pirate queen that we've seen Conan hooking up with before. She's a completely different pirate queen. This is with not Baylin, roughly the same no. personality. Yeah, she's a different pirate queen with roughly the same personality, and this is taking place at, at what, as far as I can tell, is very roughly the same portion of Conan's personal timeline. They're um, they're out in the jungle. Uh, we follow. We start with Valeria, actually, and then she encounters Conan, and we see Conan through her eyes, um, which is a chance for Howard to talk about how awesome and sexy Conan is. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the two of them fight a uh, fight a dinosaur, uh, yeah. which which is awesome. Right, uh-huh. and that's just uh, that doesn't particularly surprise them because this is a world where there are dinosaurs. Sometimes um, they they try to get away from the dinosaur, but they end up kind of treed. Um, they they can't get down from where they're they're hiding because the dinosaur will get them. They can't outweigh the dinosaur. They're in a bad situation. Conan makes a joke about um, taking some some of the poisonous fruit nearby. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's I don't know exactly they, how they, they, they make a they end poison up, they spear. End up making a poison spear. Yeah. It's, so so Conan wins the fight through cleverness, which which is yeah, way but, more exciting than Conan str- you know st- strangles the dinosaur, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I might disagree. Conan <laughs> strangles the dinosaur sounds pretty sweet, honestly. Like, how'd you beat? How'd you beat the Allosaurus? Oh, I don't know. I grappled him. I mean, like, he was no—he was no strangling Bob. <laughs> so when they were up there in that tree or or crag uh, is what is how Wikipedia describes it. I'm using the Wikipedia plot summary to jog my memory here. Um, while they were up there, they saw this ruined. Uh, city in the distance with a big wall around it and they make for that 
and they discover that it is completely abandoned looking there's no uh there's no farmland around it and the gates are uh like rusted shut and also covered with spider webs uh which struck me as kind of an odd touch because why would there why would spiders necessarily collect right there but um that's that's just get, how you show something's old and abandoned yeah yeah so they get uh they get through that and they discover that the city is not so much a city as this kind of gorman gassed single gigantic super building like an arcology almost um they wander around for a while and they find a guy and uh, the guy takes the they fight some other guys and the guy takes them back to uh the guy's people and the guy's people tell this story about how they themselves are colonizers of this city they came here um and discovered the city they dealt with the inhabitants and then uh, their chief stole like a uh, like a, a local princess, and they entered a state of rebellion. And long story short, there's now two factions uh, which are kind of encamped in opposite ends of the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, they eat fruit that just grows in the air, which is handy. <laughs> right. I mean, so basically, what what you what you have here is you have an inhabited dungeon. I mean, this 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 ties. It's like it's like the setup of a of a Doctor Who story from the uh, from the seventies, really. Yeah, I can I can see that. I mean, it it, it also reminds me there's there was that one uh, tenant episode where they materialize under underground, and mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 the one where like they they clone him and make a make a girl version of him and they respawn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But but um, but to but to to tie this. Uh, back to back to D and D, right? I mean, you you always have the problem of of dungeons. Dungeons can only really have like undead or or constructs. You know, if, if you have like a whole bunch of living creatures there, you you kind of have to explain well, how are they living here? How do they all live in close proximity? I mean, you've you you've got early dungeons like like the Cave, cave of Chaos. Where it, like everyone makes makes fun of that module because you got goblins living next to bugbears living next to orcs. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Yeah. But I mean, and this this story is is pretty much you know. Well, this story does kind of the same thing that like Lost does with the island, where there are successive waves of colonization uh, because you ha- you have the original mm-hmm. people and then you have these um, to to I don't know how to pronounce it uh, came who. The people that Conan makes friends with, who came in, yeah, they're, and they're like have a weird, Conan coming in. They've they've got weird like Aztec sounding names. I thought, yeah, like the uh, like the Tukutli and and stuff like that in Olmec. And that's what's interesting to me about this is that there has long been that conversation of, you know. What was the nature, if any, of Meso and South American trade with Egypt, right? Like, it's an actual historical debate. You look at, like, mm-hmm. the building of step periods, and even in the Canary Islands, you can see step periods. You find goods that were only available in the New World in the stomachs of, you know, f- of mummies, 
in Egypt. And so you start looking at this and it's painted this depiction by Howard that the people that end up settling this after Tolkemec, the slave, lets them in are Stygian. And these Stygian or, you know, like mythical Egyptian dudes eventually become this very Mesoamerican Aboriginal sort of like pseudo Mayan people with their names. I mean, they have names like freaking Olmec, which was uh, a Central American people. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's like, I mean, it's a it's a really cool. I mean, it's a it's it's a really neat uh, setup. I mean, it's it's a ridiculous setup. Right. I mean, I mean, going going back to those old school uh, dungeons. Any any time you you had a dungeon with uh, living living creatures on it, I mean, there was there was always a ridiculous, you know, reason for 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 why all, all these all these uh, people were were in there. Usually, it's it's oh a, oh a wizard put put them there, um, and 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 in this story, it's it's uh, it's it's weird magical fruit is is how they live. And they and they can't leave because of all the all the dinosaurs. Although at at the end of the story we find out that that's kind of kind of a, a lie. Also, they're not having any babies for some reason. Right. Which is which is unclear because apparently all they do is sit around and have sex. Um, so well, maybe the ma- maybe the air fruit has some kind of contraceptive property. Well, this this I I remarked to uh, Peter earlier that this this is basically uh, Zuthal of of the dusk like. Re, redone like higher yeah. high, higher concept and i think yes yeah, the same same basic idea you're you're leaving out the out out the evil woman whose whose name i forget um tuscala yeah Tus, tuscala is is the whole reason that these people are there in the first place because it's revealed that right. she's like a she's actually year a, some old... kind of vampire. Yeah, basically. Yeah, and she's she, basically a vampire. She and bewitched these people been... into into yeah. taking her out of whatever country she was in, and they ended up here. And, and she is the one who's been manipulating this civil war for you know her own entertainment or whatever, um, which which leads to a whole bunch of weird uh, lesbian sexual uh, tension in this story um this story had had a lot more weird sexual tension than than we've seen in in some conan stories up up to this point yeah not just uh lesbian but there's a there's a bit in passing where some guy is killed and then another guy is identified as being that dead guy's mate uh which is just tossed out very quickly but given that Howard was trying to write about how um, how decadent uh, the the people had gotten, mm-hmm. the turning the the not irregular homoerotic subtext that you see in these stories into actual text um, just seems par for the course. Hmm. I must I must have missed missed that part, or just assumed that he meant mate, as in like the British sense. Yeah, maybe he did, but I don't know. You know. Mates generally means the one thing rather than the other. I don't know. So, so, so he was he was using this city as 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 kind of like a like a Sodom and 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 Gomorrah. Um, which wouldn't be the first time he's you know exactly with what you said about Zuthal Dusk, right? It's not the first time where you have an isolated city that it got that way because of treachery and magic and whatever else becoming this really decadent thing. And clearly Howard was, you know, associated um, 
these kind of sexual relationships with some sort of negative impulse of, of civilization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have to say the, 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 the scenes of uh, v- Valeria getting uh, tied up by other women probably uh, fueled uh, some adolescent uh, fantasies for generations. Which, which was probably not uh, Howard's intention. Well, at this point, Howard was trying to write whatever would sell, right? Yeah, but I think given given some of the things that I that I was reading on Wikipedia, the the letters he was writing to his his friends and and whatnot, um, you know, the the weird uh, lesbian bondage was supposed to dis, di, disgust you. It was it was not supposed to titillate you, and but. Uh, <laughs> I think I think it 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 may have had the opposite of the in, intended effect, um, but can can we talk about how how awesome uh, Va, Va, Valeria is? Um, I think I think this is this is the first uh, woman in in any of these uh, pulp stories by by any of the authors that we've we've read to be to be any kind of uh, badass in her in her own own right and you know not not be a completely sexist uh, stereotype i mean there there was there was uh Baylet, the the pirate queen, queen of the black coast but i don't think we ever saw her do anything badass on screen yeah which was my big complaint about that story was that she she didn't actually do anything right valeria picks up a sword and kills dudes and doesn't care and that was sort of my uh, bear with it statement back when we did uh, Queen of the Black Coast, if you guys remember, is that eventually we're going to meet yeah, Valeria, yeah. who does actually do something badass. And she is badass. I mean, the Red Brotherhood we see in earlier Conan stories in uh, Iron Shadows in the Moon. Um, that's the group of pirates that he kills their leader and then gets wanged in the head and doesn't get to be their leader. This is, this is the oh, same group as you. Oh, it's those guys. Yeah, it's those guys. Those guys. Yeah, they show back, you know, so Valeria eventually becomes, like, a total badass among those guys. What's interesting to me about Valeria, though, is that whereas Baylet is a badass, but is ostensibly a sex, uh, you know, a sex object, you know, she's described as being, like, barely clothed and kind of, like, loving that lifestyle, when they describe the way Valeria is dressed, they, he even throws in the line that in spite of it, she's all woman, right? Like, she's clearly dressing pretty much like a guy. Howard says explicitly that Conan is dressed the same as her, except that he's wearing a different style of belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's right. wearing a girdle, he's wearing a belt. That's the, the only difference in their outfits. On the, on the, on the Wikipedia page for uh, Red, Red Nails, there's, there's an illustration from the in, interior um, that, that basically looks like, like it, it, it could have come out of a first edition Dungeons & Dragons and Ad, ad adventure. I mean, you can you can see, v- 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 or maybe it's on it's on Valeria's page. I'm 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 not sure. Uh, Conan still got that weird uh, haircut where he looks like like Noel Noel Coward or, or something. Um, but v- Valeria looks looks sh- straight up up awesome. And she does. And there's a reason why she became in the '82 movie with Arnold why she became the badass female character that they throw in and the love interest for Arnold's Conan, right? It's because as we look through these stories, it's exactly what you guys talk about. Baylet's 
awesomeness is explicitly off screen. We don't see her being great. We see her like guys taking over a ship and apparently being feared. And it seems like not too long after that, she's being strung from the yard arm. And and, and speaking of uh, illustrations, um, the, the cover of the July 1936 uh, issue of weird, weird tales uh, I I thought was especially uh, striking. It 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 depicts the scene where Tuscana, what's her name? Tuscala. Tuscala uh, is is tying up uh, Va- Valeria, and there's you know it's 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 weird uh, le- lesbian bondage, uh, but it's beautifully drawn weird weird lesbian bondage, uh, and it was it was actually drawn by 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 a woman, uh, Margaret, Margaret, uh, Brundage, who, who seems like she was an interesting figure in, in her, her own right. She, she, she even went, went to high school with, with, uh, Walt, Walt Disney, which I thought was especially interesting. Um, she, she draw that, she, she also drew, drew the cover of, of Weird Tales, um, for the issue featuring, uh, Queen of, of the Black Coast, where, uh, <laughs> where, where Conan is, is just laying in that awkward position, and he looks like Noel Coward, and he's holding a kind of like a like an ice pick almost <laughs> at this weird flying flying uh, vulture creature. Uh, but but the first drawing is 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 amazing. I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're looking at. Yeah, it's rather surprising that that would have been on newsstands. Mm-hmm. in the mid 30s yeah like I, I i look at and maybe it's because of my own experiences with my grandparents right as being these very like folksy i mean mind you also i am from iowa so that colors it a little bit but like you know my grandparents are like these these folksy sort of old-fashioned types well i mean so I howard see- howard was from was from texas you know so well, it was just a. It was not all that long after this that there was a panic over how the the pulps and comics, especially, were poisoning mm-hmm. our nation's youth. When right? when with was the, uh, the sexy half naked women and such? When when was I actually? I suppose that was uh, that was fifty three to fifty six. I don't know where I'm getting those numbers from. Was um, that sounds fifty three so, sounds right for seduction of the innocent though? Yeah, that's yeah. I was that's 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 what I was I was thinking of. That's, that, Worth them. That that book there, yeah. Yeah, I just I just I just thought that it was it was a very uh, striking striking image, and and I, I thought it was interesting that the artist was was a woman, and, and she seems really interesting, and I, I just wanted to call call attention to it. Um, all right, so was there was there anything else in this story that that really um, that that people wanna 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 talk about? I thought that it was unusual that Valeria lives all the way to the end of the story. I know, right? Which is, I think, probably why we're talking about how awesome she is. I think that if she was, if Conan was just barely unable to save her and she died and Conan escaped and killed all the bad guys afterwards, I don't know that we would we would be holding her up quite so much. But there have been so many... Um, so many women who have died or uh, just been useless. The the women usually live, don't they? I mean, I mean, Bellet uh, got got killed. 
but but most of most of Conan's love love interests they they lived at least until the end 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 of the of the story, don't they? I mean, the ones that don't do anything. Right, they uh, live maybe, because yeah, he carries them away. <laughs> yeah, right. As yeah. opposed to Valeria, who's a badass. <laughs> right. Right, uh, but not just Valeria. Wasn't there a woman who died in the um, the other story that we were talking about? The one that uh, B nine, the Lost City, is based on. Oh, um, uh, Zuthal. Yeah, isn't there a woman who dies in Zuthal? Yeah, no, but I thought that she got out with him. Usually, usually the the women who who die are the are the are the evil evil ones. Like they're they're the witches and the seductresses. The random vampire princess who shows up towards the end of uh, Hour of the Dragon, for instance. Yeah, and I'm going to use that as a segue because I've been wanting to talk about this since I reread this story because I never made this piecing together. Tascala in this one, does she not seem like a more fleshed out version of Akavasha from Hour of the Dragon? And Akavasha being the, you know, vampire woman from ancient Acheron. It seems like it's plausibly the same character motif just he actually fleshed her out instead of just being like and i'm here hi <laughs> uh, i i barely even remember that that character from from hour of the dragon because i mean hour of the dragon was just one one short episode of of action after after another uh but i mean i think i think i think all of these women there's 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 some legendary vampire woman who like bathes in the blood of of uh, virgins um, oh, Elizabeth of Bathory. Bathory. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. She she showed up in in Diablo two, I think, and yeah. So I mean, that's that's who all 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 of these are are based on. Yeah, it's an it's an archetype, certainly the uh, the woman who preserves her beauty by consuming the beauty of others. It's the uh, the evil stepmother in Snow White. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be could be seen as a version of that. What I what I want, wanted to point out is that um, the the Red Brotherhood, uh, which which I didn't didn't remember from uh, Black Black Circle, uh, but in in almost every D and D setting, and a lot of other fantasy settings, there's something similar to to the Red Brotherhood. Greyhawk has the Scarlet uh, uh, Brotherhood. Eberron uh, also has a Scarlet Brotherhood. Um, uh, in in World of Warcraft, you you can go to the Crimson Monastery. Um, in in Pathfinder, there's the Red Mantis Assassins, which is kind of a stretch. Uh, I even found out that that Star Wars also has a Crimson uh, Brotherhood. You know, there there are crimes syndicate. So uh, this this uh, I mean, it's it's a, it it's it's a good name for for a gang of of assassins and thieves. So I can I. I can see why it's why it's made made the rounds, but it's 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 interesting to think that um, it it may have have all started started here. I did not know that there was a Scarlet Brotherhood in Eberron, and now I am googling it and discovering that you're correct. You're not making that up. There <laughs> no. is a Scarlet Brotherhood in Eberron, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, you learn something every day. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised there's there's not one in the in the Forgotten Realms. I mean, they 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 have the Black Network. I guess I guess that's the that's the closest thing. The Fire Knives in the Forgotten Realms. 
Sure. Fire, fire is red. In Curse of the Azure Bonds, the computer game, the fire knives were always in red robes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I always associated them with with the Scarlet Brotherhood and in all its many iterations. And when 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 we used to play uh, Living Living for, Forgotten Realms, the the fire knives were were like the like the mad agents from you know in Inspector Gadget. Like they were they were just just this this bumbling org- organization that. That couldn't seem <laughs> seem to seem to do any <laughs> anything right, but um, uh, it was a long time ago that you and I played Living Forgotten Realms, Jeff. <laughs> oh, that's right you you did play that with us, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, the Fire Knives how, again. Did it? Did they? Oh, they've they've got a new leader this time because we killed their their last leader. <laughs> All right. Okay, so so you know this is the return of a feature that has been missing on Appendix End for some time, which is the spot the origination of this Dungeons and Dragons archetype slash trope, uh, and here we have the Red Brotherhood for the Scarlet Brotherhood uh, slash the Fire Knives. Mark your uh, mark your bingo cards, people. Mm-hmm. Yep, synonym for Red, synonym for uh, Brotherhood. And you've you, you've got your organization of evil criminals slash assassins. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. There's there there's there's a, there's a lot that uh, I think this story contributed to to D and I already talked about the in, inhabited uh, dungeons, complete with you know con- convenient food sources that just that just pop up at at random, and a and a reason why the in, inhabitants can't can't leave. Um, what I mean, is there is there anything else in, in these three stories in particular that people think may have inspired uh, early Dungeons and Dragons? Well, it's maybe kind of a stretch, but since Beyond the Black River seems to be set in, like I don't know, um, Missouri circa eighteen ten, <laughs> um, the the motif that I've seen talked about a lot is that Dungeons and Dragons, the like the default setting isn't really swords and sorcery it's a swords and sorcery version of the old west uh where you have this big entry empty countryside and uh with the natives that are unremittingly hostile oh keep 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 on keep on the on the borderlands uh, certainly certainly speaks certainly speaks to that yeah so and i can't think off the top of my head at least of a of another story that is set so much within that milieu. Um, looking back at other authors, the the bad people are generally confined to like an underground city or a, a secret cult or what have you. Um, here, there, they control like everything on the other side of the Mississippi River. Um, so that's something that I think might be new to Beyond the Black River. In terms of our appendix and chronology, um, and if, if so, that's definitely a big, a big, big piece of the Dungeons and Dragons, like default archetypal setting. The only thing that I think comes close from listening to past episodes of the podcast are maybe the Green Martians in Burroughs. You know, like maybe they seem to have that occupy a, a very similar um, position to the Picts in uh, Beyond the Black River. Yeah, perhaps. The Green Martians I always thought as being kind of a like Eastern Mongol horde, kind of an Asiatic version of that, as opposed to the oh. 
thinly veiled racist Native American version. I mean, I guess both of them are racist, but um, mm-hmm. but I can I can definitely see what you're saying, and maybe it's it's false to draw that dichotomy. They're all pastoralists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the um, be, beyond the Black River, uh, you know, it might might have in, have inspired, uh, you know, what 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 we call the call the hex crawls, the 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 slow wilderness uh, mm-hmm. ex- exploration as a as opposed to uh, dungeon crawls. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's an interesting milieu uh, with a lot of opportunity for adventure, certainly, and. It's not hard to see that getting unpacked and expanded out into stuff like the Keep on the Borderlands and the Horror of the Hill and yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, so Red Nails was sadly uh, the last uh, story, at least the last Conan uh, story written by Robert E. e. Howard. Yeah, I just realized we didn't actually talk about the second half of the plot of Red Nails, so just take it as read, uh, people, that it's 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 pretty okay. They they fight a bunch of about. people and then they they escape. Yeah, they they there's some some cool monster fighting. Yeah, I there thought I thought Red Nails um, maybe went on a bit too long, which is a criticism that we've had for some of of Lovecraft's uh, later later stories. Um, I think there were there were. It, it it seemed like there were one too many last minute revelations at the end of red red tales right everyone everyone had a yeah. had, had a yeah. secret right but and it's it's not really a timeline that we're particularly invested in as the as the readers of this story you know there was a bunch of crazy stuff that happened before that's really all we need to know mm-hmm. basically so but i mean it was still it was still a very good uh Story. I mean, we've, we're 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 still talking about how much how much we liked it. So clearly, that that didn't uh, detract from it at all. And we can we can only imagine how much better uh, Howard might have gotten if if he had lived. But uh, sadly, he he died by his his own hand on June eleventh, nineteen thirty six. Uh, one one month before uh, Red Nails would see uh, pub- publication. Uh, and and of course, um, H.P. Uh, Lovecraft passed away from uh, stomach cancer less than a year after that. So uh, we we we've really come to the end of of an era. Yeah, um, all of the Conan stories were were conceived and written by Howard in a a very short span of time. Really, if you think about it, just about four years. Yeah, basically. Uh, and that's true Which for is, most of his work. He talked about like with his call stories. For instance, he stopped because it felt to him like the character stopped talking to him. Right, like that's a that's a thing in some of his letters that he talks about. Like, why did you stop writing Cull and start doing you know Bran Mockmore? And well, I felt like Cull didn't talk to me anymore. I wasn't getting these stories because at least he claimed that he would write them in about one go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can I can believe it. Uh, speaking very broadly that he uh, kind of threw these the, at least these plot lines together out of whole cloth I'm sure he did some revision but there's some some themes uh, and archetypes that show up over and over again 
uh, although I don't know that any story gets quite as bad as Beyond the Black River in terms of Conan just announcing what the thesis of the story is. But there's... I guess this is going to be our last uh, installment about Robert E. Howard, right? Which is kind of a shame because there's just the, he wrote a lot of really good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I keep saying this, but I I sort of have a feeling that when Appendix N is all is all done, that that we're we're probably going to have to have to go back and and get some of the stories that that we missed. Howard's uh, like Cthulhu mythos or Lovecraftian, explicitly Lovecraftian stories. Um, it's been a while since I read them, but I remember them as being really good. Mm-hmm. And, and the Solomon Kane stuff, if you look at where Ravenloft is coming from as a setting, Interesting. it's so informative. It's so informative. I mean, I always say that if you were to, well, I always say to like the 12 people I talk to, that if you were to combine uh, the Mighty Fortress historical campaign source book from AD&D 2nd edition with Ravenloft, that's just Solomon Kane. Interesting. Or you could just play mm-hmm. the Solomon Kane uh, role-playing game for for the Savage Worlds uh, system. Are we supposed to talk about games that aren't Dungeons & Dragons on this podcast, Jeff? Uh, we're not prohibited from it. Okay. Well, you know, it's on your head, be it. <laughs> um, yeah, but, so, okay... Well, uh, as as we draw our discussion of Howard's Conan stories to a close, does anyone have any any final uh, re- reminisce- rem- reminiscences? There's definitely a lot more diversity to the Conan stories than I was expecting going in. Um, I had read a few of them in the past, but mm-hmm. if this was my Appendix N was my first exposure to a lot of these stories. And aside, there were a couple of stories, um, for instance, Beyond the Black River, and to a lesser extent, Shadows and Zambula, that really kind of reinforced my my worst uh, stereotypes or expectations about Conan the Barbarian. Uh, generally, the stories were a lot better than I thought they were going to be, and a lot more. There was a lot of diversity of content uh, that I was not expecting. You know, one of the early stories is basically a a detective story. Uh, there are there the one of the early stories is Conan the Conan the King, which is a a situation that only gets revisited much later in uh, in Howard's writing. Yeah, that's 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 Dragon. the that's the first st- story, the first time we ever ever meet meet Conan. He's a he is a king. Yeah, and you have in those and in the Scarlet Citadel, and you have in those stories Conan just like. Um, I don't know, at one point he kind of uh, treats a powerful Merlin analog wizard as as an equal, as a peer, as somebody worthy of respect, in a way that as a reader I wasn't expecting and that really changed how I thought about the Conan character. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Conan is, in fact, he's, he's a much more complicated figure than popular culture would lead us to believe. He's a guy who is he's really, he's 18 in all of his stats, not just strength and con. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. He's, 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 he's a Mary Sue. Yeah, yeah, but he's, he's also a, he's a patron of the arts, which is not something that I was expecting to find out about Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, although we, 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 really, we really don't hear about that 
uh, after Phoenix on the Sword, and I, I think yeah, as... so, but 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 Phoenix on the Sword is set after pretty much every other story. I think so I think as as Shadow, Peter but... as Peter pointed out that that was that was supposed to be a be a, a cult story. Well, Peter, unpack this for us. What's the uh, what's the situation in Re Conan the Barbarian and the Arts? Okay, well, I think that Conan, regardless of the fact that. Um, Phoenix on the Sword was originally written as by this Axai rule for Call, is is an appreciator of the arts. He talks about, again, in that story, how he had a much better time hanging out with the Aesir and the Vanner who sang songs and had some sort of artistic culture, which the Sumerians didn't. Right, The Sumerians, by his own recollection, were just this gloomy people. Mm-hmm. And when they did have music, it was a dirge. It's you Conan's know. kind of thing early on that gets mentioned a few times is that he really rejects Sumerian culture and leaves it. And that's perhaps why he travels so much is that he's left his homeland because he didn't feel that he fit in there. I think, I think in, that, in, that, in that same uh, paragraph I mentioned where it, it says that uh, Conan's 40 years, year, years old in Beyond the, Beyond the Black River, that, that same uh, paragraph that, that wasn't written by Howard – uh, it says that 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 he briefly uh, visited uh, Samaria before that uh, story to find that that his his old childhood friends were were now uh, dads, and he quick quickly got got bored and left. So yeah, I don't know where that came from. It wasn't in the edition that I read, which was off Project Gutenberg. Well, it, oh, it, that's st- that stuff is from the Elsprog de Camp, um, Lynn yeah. Carter uh, stuff that came out for Lancer and Ace in the nineteen uh, sixties and seventies. Yeah, it's. I mean, Howard. Howard didn't well. invite it, so it's 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 not. You know, I don't I don't I don't consider it part of this story. It's, it's, it's not. Just... Lynn Carter meant well. I think that that's something you have to say about Lynn Carter mm-hmm. and uh, all that of could his, be his epitaph. Yeah, birthday. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he meant well. But what were what were you you gonna say say Peter before I? Um. Oh, it, I think the thing when we were talking about um what we got, and it's so nice to hear. Uh, Jeff talk about how this broke what he thought about, you know, at least in some respects, what he thought about Conan going into it is because what we think of it as Conan um, culturally comes so much from the Roy Thomas work with, you know, Marvel Comics to accept a sort of Conan and like the Conan comic book Mm -hmm. um, and so much from, you know, the Arnie movies and things like that. And then even, you know, stuff that was indirect pastiche work like Kothar and Kirik who were done by like, you know, uh, Gardner Fox and, um, uh, I'm gonna kick myself later for. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna kick myself later for uh, uh, not remembering the other guy's name. Um, but uh, that he is just this big dumb barbarian, and it translates so much at the table as big dumb barbarian. You know, you almost never see uh, a barbarian at your table that tries to outthink something. It's always I kick the door down and I punch what's ever in there, or I hit it with my axe, or I try to grapple it. And here you have an example of Conan, who is the archetype for that same character class. And well, that's, when he can, he tries to outthink it. He tries to be crafty about it. That's the thing, though, is that when you write up Conan the Barbarian in Dungeons and Dragons, he's this crazy dual class fighter thief. Uh, he's not actually a he's not actually a very good fit for the barbarian class as it appears in Dungeons and Dragons. Right, yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would agree. He's he's more a fighter, fighter rogue than a than an actual bar, bar barbarian. And that's how the, you know in the in the Conan modules for AD and D first ed, that's how they had him standed out was as a fighter rogue. But I think the uh, barbarian, as it was released in Unearthed Arcana, 
for first ed is kind of fair to that. I mean, it's hard to get the drop on them. They have that danger sense. You know, they have a lot of like woodsman things. And really what makes them barbaric is more of a lack of familiarity with um, the other PCs, like conceptions of civilization, as opposed to having where we later get that like, oh, yeah, he's a berserker and like he's dumb, but he gets into a fight and just goes Rah! And, and kills when, everything. When when did the rage mechanic come come in? Was it was it in that uh, original character class? Uh, the rage mechanic, as far as I can remember it, um, comes in second edition as in the Berserker kit in Complete mm-hmm. Fighter. Yeah, see, there, there, there you go. Because I mean, so much of what defines the, the barbarian today, at least from 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 third third edition onwards, at least as far as I'm aware, is 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 the rage mechanic. And I wasn't I wasn't really familiar with with barbarians, but before then. But it, it sounds like from from what you're you're saying that that the the definition of of what the barbarian class was kind of really shifted since since that since that first uh appearance totally as opposed to having that sort of rage mechanic instead you would have you know the bonuses you're getting from dexterity to armor class were higher or the bonus and the bonuses you were getting from constitution to your hit points were higher to show this sort of robustness of being the uh, character the barbarian hated magic too wasn't that very much so there was some yes. kind of anti-magic item restriction, which seems just laughable in terms of my understanding of how AD&D went. I wasn't playing it at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, it just seems seems crazy. They did try to balance it by saying, because you, you know, back then you got experience from uh, the acquisition of magic items, and the barbarian could get double experience by destroying them. So while he can't use until, and I feel so ashamed, my father-in-law plays a first-ed barbarian in my game. It's I think it's like third or fourth level before you can, third level sounds right, before you can actually wield a magic weapon. And it's later for magic armor, right? But up until then, you know, if you find a, a plus one, and just for sake of argument, a plus one, you know, longsword is worth, let's say, 1,500 experience, the barbarian can sunder it, right, and gain three grand, uh, 3K experience from it. That's really not something that ties into Conan the Barbarian as I have read him at all. I don't think it ties there's into no sense no. in which There's no sense in which Conan the Barbarian would destroy something useful just because it's dangerous. Uh, he, would see, he would hawk it, is what he would do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We're, we're going a little bit long, uh, but, but real quick before we close out, um, favorite... Favorite Conan story of of the ones that we've read for the show, which I think is all of them, but favorite Conan story, Jeff, you go first. Oh, off the top of my head, it's tempting to say Red Nails because I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also enjoyed The Devil in Iron and the story, the name of which I can't recall, which is the one that um, The Lost City, B9, is based on. Uh, Z- Zuthal of... Of the dusk, yeah, I think I would I would probably give it to Zuthal of the dusk because it's the one that sticks in my head. Uh, number two for the Devil and Iron, number three for Red Nails, number four for the Scarlet Citadel. Okay, uh, so Jeff went with four favorite Conan stories. Uh, Peter, can you can you? You know, I'm a co-host. I'm allowed <laughs> to come up with extra if I want to. I'll see. For me, this is a Sophie's Choice situation. Um, I. Uh... I guess you you can pick two. Okay, if I could pick only two, 
I'm I say go. you can pick six. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, then we'll be here here all night. Pick two. I'll, I'll split. Okay, I was gonna say I'll split the difference and do three, but I'll do only two. Um, I guess I would say I would give it to Rogues in the House, the one where they go after that red pre, uh, priest in that tower. Oh yeah, tower. there's 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 the uh, uh, monkey sitting in the in the mm-hmm. in the throne and the and the weird uh, cage trap. Yeah. Yeah, I love that one a lot. Um, Tower of the Elephant. I uh, would have to come in too because I, you know, I taught that to, uh, when I taught reading, and I always really liked that story. And I guess honorable mention to uh, Frost Giant's daughter because for some reason I will always love that story a lot. Yeah, Tower Tower of the of the Elephant is is definitely my 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 favorite because it was it was weird. Uh, yeah, basically it was it was weird. That's that's why why I I liked it. Um, Conan was a what was a thief. There was that fat jolly uh, merchant thief who unfortunately died. When we when we started out reading these uh, Conan stories, we we were sort of following all these different different uh, lotus plants, and we we were, were were sort of cataloging what each one did, and then uh, everything quickly be, became uh, black lotus after after a while, and it was it was just yeah. black black lotus all the time. Um, but for a while, it was it was looking like uh, you know kind of. Kind of like kryptonite, you know. There's 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 the green kryptonite and then the and the red kryptonite and the blue blue kryptonite. We we thought the lotus was going to be kind of like that, but sadly it it was not. That was a cool element while it lasted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Purple lotus, yellow lotus. Yeah. What was your uh, What was your favorite, Jeff? Uh, Tower of the Elephant. Oh, f- a favorite favorite lotus. Uh, well, no, I was going to say favorite story, but I guess favorite Lotus would <laughs> would also co- uh, would also cover. Uh, do we have time to talk about which is our least favorite Conan story? Because I want to just say one more time, Shadows and Zambula, maybe the most racist thing I've ever read. <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's 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 really bad. Yeah, I I can't uh, I can't disagree agree with you. Uh, the well, I mean the the uh, the opening of. Uh, a princess of Mars, where he's um, running away from Indians, was also pretty racist. But that was that when was a completely different author. Well, there was a Conan episode that uh, was early on in this, uh, where all three of us were just underwhelmed by the three stories that we read, and I'm trying to think of which three those were, because for a long time that was that was. Uh, <laughs> Jeff's like at least it's not as bad as this story, <laughs> and I think now we finally have crossed the threshold where where uh, Shadows and Zambula has usurped the once proud the, title of worst Conan story for the, you. The new bottom of the appendix in uh, <laughs> barrel. Yeah, and I just can't remember which one it was, but there's one that you were just so utterly underwhelmed by. <laughs> I remember I have blocked all of the details of that story out of my mind though so I, I can't tell you what it is uh, for, for for me the the bottom of the appendix and barrel is probably still Carson of Venus just because that story was so boring <laughs> I remember that <laughs> oh yeah that was just 
Oh, what I remember about that was how frustrating it was because because you could see that he was trying to reach out of his comfort zone and make a hero who was more cerebral, and then just at every opportunity to show off, showcase his hero's like braininess, he instead went with went with the same brawn that he used over and over and over again. But now we're talking about uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs instead of Robert E. Howard, and that's got to be like some kind of crime. Yes. All right. So it is. It is getting very, very late, and we've we've talked for a long time. Uh, we could we could probably talk about Conan forever, uh, but sadly, we must we must bring this discussion to a close. Uh, this Jeff- was an absolute blast. I gotta say. Absolutely. I'm I'm really I'm really pumped to to get started on on organizing the next sort of sort sort of era. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure how how I'll do that. I'll probably just like buy a whole bunch of Els de Comp stories and a whole bunch of Fritz Leiber stories and 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 read them and see which which ones I like. But um, yeah, that's, that's that's. I have some stuff I can ship to you, maybe. Sure. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Or Fafford and the Gray Mauser, if you can find it on Amazon, Golance made really nice um, compiled versions of those that you can get used pretty reasonably as opposed to trying to go back and get the single volume issues that were being put out in the 70s and 80s. All right, this well, is, there's a is lot a... of stuff that's available as ebooks now if you look uh, yeah, for Kindle true. edition. Peter Foxhoven, where on the internet can people find you? Oh, when I'm not being lazy, they can find me on cromcountthedead.com where I pontificate about low fantasy and uh, sometimes why I love the OSR. Where you where you rest your chin on a on a massive knotted fist as you oh, as I you wish. as you ponder. <laughs> yep, I was gonna say yes. <laughs> uh, Jeff Wickstrom, where on the internet can people find you? Oh, it's been forever since I updated it, but uh, jeffwick.com still exists, and there are still hilarious stories about King Arthur available for your enjoyment. Well, you you have a baby, so you can you can perhaps be. Uh, excused from from updating your your uh, website. Arguably, I should be doing it more now, just to uh, to hold up my esteem in my baby's eyes. I want him to be proud of me, right? But also read his stuff on Arthur. It's I can say firsthand, it's hilarious. I thoroughly have enjoyed it. I appreciate your endorsement. And his his uh, summary of the of the Silmarillion is is, is not bad either. Listeners, we hope you have enjoyed our journey through the savage world of Conan the Barbarian. This is our final episode on Conan and Robert E. Howard. We have covered almost 20 stories about Conan on this podcast, so if you enjoyed our discussion, please go back into our our archives and listen to previous episodes. You can send us your thoughts and comments in an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put Appendix N in the subject line, and that way it, it will get right to us. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. Appendix N is going to be taking an, an extended break. Not sure for how long, as we familiarize ourselves with the next batch of authors and plan out the next several episodes. Expect us to cover Fritz Leiber, L. Sprague de Camp. August Derleth, and Andre Norton, among others, when we come back. If you are familiar with these authors and would like to recommend stories for us to cover or even to be on the show, please let us know. Drop us a line at thetomeshow at gmail.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 33, The Stories of Conan by Robert E. Howard, Part 6. Thanks for listening.